This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, May 2nd, 2022. I'm Caleb Brown. Taking the wind out of the sails of the Putin-directed assault on Ukraine might be as simple as putting out a welcome mat to Russians who don't want to fight. Cato's Paul Matsko argues there are a number of historical lessons for the war in Ukraine. If only someone would learn them. You sent me this pitch and said, hey, Caleb, we should record a podcast about this. And it said, uh, a Hessian take. It's a Hessian take. But my first thought was, it's a Hessian take. And I'm thinking, well, Carl, what does Carl Hess have to tell us? Well, he did used to run guns for various resistances. Maybe maybe Paul Matsko is going to tell me that uh, we need more Carl Hesses out there running guns uh, for people. I'm, and, and of course, you're not advocating that Americans should take up arms specifically. But this is a Hessian argument. So what do the Hessians have to tell us about um, what's going on in Ukraine. Okay, so Hessians, uh, in as much as we remember them, I suspect it's because of the 1949 Disney uh, movie, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. You probably saw it as a kid with the headless horseman trying to uh, swipe off the head of Ichabod Crane. Um, and that headless horseman, uh, the story written by Washington Irving in the early 19th century was a Hessian. He's a Hessian soldier. And the Hessians were mercenaries or really auxiliaries uh, recruited by the British crown to come and fight in the American Revolution, to fight on the British side, to put down these rebellious colonists. And uh, we have something kind of similar today where Vladimir Putin uh, needs a shock Corps, some shock troops to go into Ukraine. They're supposed to have an intimidating military rep- reputation. Uh, he has manpower issues, so he needs more reliable, trained uh, veteran troops, not just green conscripts and reluctant recruits. So who does he turn to? He turns to the Chechens. So instead of Hessians, it's now Chechens. And so um, uh, Kadyrov's wolves, the Chechen wolves is their kind of uh, totem, uh, are now in Ukraine and they are feared uh, by Ukrainians. In fact, uh uh, some Ukrainian witnesses in Bucha, in the, the massacre in Bucha, claimed that there were Chechens involved, even though I, there's actually no hard evidence that there were Chechen soldiers involved in Bucha. It appears to be a regular Russian army unit. It gives you some sense of their fearsome, brutal reputation in Ukraine, which is part of their appeal to Vladimir Putin as a propaganda tool. So I can imagine a outsider force mercenaries being used in a a situation by a leader who maybe doesn't want to get his hands dirty, but there's not a lot of evidence that Vladimir Putin is afraid to get his hands dirty with with, uh, regular Russian troops. But if I'm uh, a smart rent-seeking leader of a Chechen militia group, I might be thinking, you know, how do I prolong this problem? Uh, and, yeah. and maybe and, and and so the arm's length relationship that you have with contractors, consultants, let's call them, uh, may be very interested in actually just extracting as much as they can from both sides. Well, and there's this um, the relationship between Chechnya and Russia is is interesting. It's complicated, right? They fought two wars with Russia in the 90s and aughts. Uh, the first, in fact, um, Ramzan Kadyrov, who's the leader of Chechnya now, uh, he and his father, they actually fought against Russia in the first Chechen war. And then 
with Russia in the second one. So they've kind of played both sides. And in exchange for fighting for Russia during the successful Russian uh, conquest of Chechnya, they were turned into a kind of semi-feudal um, state. They're, they're technically part of Russia, but they're a kind of a satellite state. And he... Katerov answers to Putin directly, not to the Russian legislature, not to. So it gives Putin a, a force that's personally loyal to him, that's battle hardened. I mean, the Chechens have been fighting constantly for 30 years now or, or longer, and uh, that isn't accountable to the normal systems in, in, in Russia. Well, in the same way, the Hessians in the 1770s uh, when the British needed more troops, more veteran troops, well, you go to these little German principalities like Hesse, Castle, or Brunswick. They're not all Hessians technically. That was just the catch-all term um, for mercenaries from German principalities. And they had a long tradition of military service. They've been fighting more or less constantly since the wars of religion over a century before, armed to the teeth, large armies relative to the population. And they have a kind of distant familial connection. Remember that George III is Hanoverian. He is of German descent. He's not actually English. And he actually has cousins in these German principalities who are more than happy to rent an army to him, uh, a mercenary army. So again, they're going to be, they're not loyal to the to the to Great Britain per se. They're fighting for pay, but they also uh that's good if remember they the British are fighting fellow Brits in a sense, right? The English are fighting English colonists uh, disproportionately. And so if you bring over Germans, they're not going to see these as necessarily fellow citizens, right? So it's a, it's a smart move in the same way that Chechens are less likely to be sympathetic to their Ukrainian cousins as Russian conscripts would be. They might know people in Ukraine, have family in Ukraine. The Chechens don't know anyone in Ukraine. So it's, again, there's a, there's a similarity there uh, between the Chechens and the Hessians. Let's assume for a moment that uh, Joe Biden were serious about aiding the Ukrainian cause uh, and wanted to take some of the wind out of the sails of Vladimir Putin and his effort in Ukraine, what would be the solution? What do the founders of the United States have to tell us about that? What's fascinating is that the founders, as soon as they heard that the British were going to bring over these Hessian mercenaries, they were outraged. They 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 thought this was a sign of just how perfidious uh, King George was being. Um, in fact, it is the second longest contention in the Declaration of Independence. Thomas Jefferson notes explicitly um, uh, the, the fact that King George is, quote, transporting large armies of foreign mercenaries to complete the works of death desolation and tyranny. And that's a reference to they, they've gotten word about the contracts being signed between the British and the, the Hessian princes. So it's it's taken as a, a massive insult, as a sign that revolution needs to happen. There's, there is going to be no more attempts at parley, at compromise, at uh, you know half measures. This is taken as a sign of the need for declaration of, of, of you know, formal independence. And um, so they're outraged that this is happening. And yet they keep their wits about them. And so the first act of the Continental Congress in relating to kind of mass immigration. The first immigration act of the, our new country in August of 1776 is to attempt to convince these Hessian soldiers to desert, to come be Americans. They're offered amnesty and uh, for an ordinary private, they could also get up to 50 acres of land for officers up to eight 
800 acres of land. So they get a, a, a free pass to become Americans. They get land on the frontier. They're thinking mostly in like Pennsylvania where they can come join already existing German immigrant communities here. So they were smart. They, they, they got that these, um, these fighters were fearsome and had a, a dangerous reputation, uh, but they saw that immigration could be a very effective tool for undermining uh, the British war against the colonies. Um, and so we should uh, take, a, take a lesson from that and consider something similar, maybe not so much towards the Chechens per se, but definitely towards these poor Russian conscripts uh, who Putin is calling up more and more. He's actually, um, because of his defeat, the defeats in Ukraine, he's having to bring in uh, reserve forces who are demoralized, unmotivated, who would be prime candidates uh, for draft dodging. You know, let them come here. Uh, and because if you think about it this way, whether you're uh, you're pushing up sunflowers uh, outside of Kiev or you're working as a mechanic in a shop in Yonkers, either way, it's one fewer Russian soldier on a foreign battlefield. And uh, we win if they come here uh, as a country. And there's not a lot of evidence that Joe Biden, the Biden administration or Congress has really any interest in extending refugee status to these deserting soldiers. No, they're, they're, I've, I've seen no movement on that at all. It, 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 it would be easy. In fact, you know, with the stroke of a pen. And relatively inexpensive, inexpensive. given uh, what we're already spending. Oh, for sure. I mean, you you could kind of do a uh, wet foot, dry foot policy like the U.S. had towards Cuba in the Cold War, but just call it the Bering Strait edition. If a Russian draft dodger, uh, a Russian person of conscriptable age shows up in America, offer them refugee status, and... Uh, that's all you have to do. There's a huge surge of Russians who don't want to fight in Putin's war who would come here and we would benefit immensely from uh, that wave of, of, of immigrants. Paul Matsko is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and give a rating to the Cato Daily Podcast on your podcast platform of choice and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 